we're in Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. Really enjoyed uh, Pastor Dan Hooker's message last week, chapter 32. He did a great job, and you can pray for him. Uh, he is headed on sabbatical on Sunday. He's pastored here at RMC for 10 years, so he's going to be on sabbatical for six weeks. And so we're just praying that God blesses his time of, of rest as he uh, seeks the Lord uh, and just has that time to wait upon the Lord. So let's pray together, and then we'll get into Genesis 33. Father, we thank you for relationship, that you created us uh, for relationship and Sometimes relationships get strained and broken because of sin, and your heart is to reconcile and bring restoration to relationships. Lord, unfortunately, because of sin, sometimes there's abuse, and that does a great damage. But you, Jesus, have came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. Why don't you take a moment just to wait upon the Lord, to be still before the Lord, and Give him your thanksgiving and your concerns for the day. And Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing quite like right relationships. When right relationships are harmonious, it's like a guitar that's in tune. There's nothing like a guitar that's out of tune, isn't there? Like you can have five strings that are in tune, but you get that sixth string that's out of tune and you're just like, man, something doesn't quite uh, seem right. A piano that's in tune, the grand piano when it's in tune, oh, it's just, it's beautiful. It's right relationships. But when you get that one sour note, I mean, how many of us have a piano at home that's old that doesn't get played very much primarily because it's just out of tune, right? Well, tonight we're going to be looking at broken relationships. Jacob's relationship is broken with Esau because of Jacob's sin 20 years prior. When he deceived his dad and, and stole the blessing that was to go to, to Esau, and Esau says, I'm going to kill you, Jacob runs for his life. And God's going to restore this very broken relationship. It's a beautiful thing. But then also we're going to see Dinah, a young gal, Jacob's daughter, be raped, be sexually uh, abused. And so if you've got young kids, this is probably a great night for children's ministry. I'll just put it out there right right now, and how that pain in her life and the things that we can learn in the midst of, of that brokenness and that abuse. Last week's study, chapter 32, is a defining moment in Jacob's life. Jacob has been a manipulator. He's been a deceiver. The angel of the Lord comes and wrestles with Jacob and wounds him and breaks him and brings him to that place where he needs to surrender to the Lord. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel, from deceiver to governed by God. Jacob by no means is going to be perfect from this point forward, but we do see a man that has surrendered to the Lord. Jacob is very much still in process, just like all of us. We're, we're very much still in process where we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. This is my prayer for us tonight is that we would open up our hearts to forgiveness that we need to extend. Broken relationships that God would want to mend. And then also where there has been abuse, that Jesus would come and, and bring healing in those areas. 
So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 33. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. Remember, last communication was, Jacob, I'm going to kill you. Here comes Esau to meet Jacob as he's coming back to the promised land, and he meets him with 400 men. This doesn't seem like a cordial greeting when you come out with with 400 men. What's the reason for 400 men? So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. Remember that Jacob has his two wives, sisters, Rachel and Leah, and their maidservants, his relationship sexually with four women, and has all of these children from these multiple wives, and he puts them in order here by priority. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, Rachel and Joseph last. So if Esau's coming to destroy them, who's going to get destroyed first? Well, the maidservants with her kids. And then it's going to go to Leah and her kids. And then he's got the loved wife over here, Rachel, with the golden boy Joseph, right? So the priority of the family is laid out right here in in this verse. And this is one of the many reasons why it should be one man with one wife, right? Not multiple wives and this practicing of polygamy and multiple relationships because you really can only be loyal to one. Jesus uses this analogy and says, you're going to love one master. You're either going to love God or you're going to love money, but you can't love both. Jacob can't love all of these wives equally. Verse 3, then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Jacob, as he's met with the Lord, Jacob, who has surrendered to the Lord, now is able to come in humility before his brother. Our relationship has to get right with the Lord before it can get right with others. Maybe the Jacob prior would have come in arrogance, come in pride, come in good ideas of how he's going to fix this. But instead, he comes to his brother in humility, bowing seven times. And each time he gets closer to Esau showing his, his heart of repentance, showing that he desires for things to be made right with his brother Esau. Jacob is the one who wronged Esau. And when we have wronged someone, humility goes a long ways in healing relationships, doesn't it? If we desire for there to be healed relationships, approach someone in this bowing down type of manner. And you may not physically bow down, but the attitude, the posture is one of bowing down. It's one of, would you forgive me? I'm desiring for things to be made right. In verse 4, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. (laughs) This is probably not the reaction that Jacob thought he was going to get. Here comes his brother running at him and instead of fists, it was a huge hug. And you can see the emotion here. Esau just embraces him and he falls on his neck and he just begins to to weep and to kiss his brother. Remember, these guys are twins. That's a pretty strong bond to watch twins uh, grow up. There's some identical twins in our family through uh, marriage and watching them uh, from, from a distance. This is their whole life. They did everything together, twin boys. And then they even taught 
school at the same high school. So they worked in the same high school and they coached baseball together, identical twins. Like they just went through their whole life together uh, like this and now they're both uh, retired. It's, it's a strong bond. I don't know of too many stronger bonds uh, than between siblings and especially between brothers. I have an older brother and a younger sister and my brother and I are 22 months apart and man, there's a close bond that, that's there between my, my brother and I. And Jacob and Esau have their problems, but they're still brothers, right? And here Esau, he's coming and he's desiring for a relationship once again with Jacob. And this should be encouraging because 20 years has gone by of no communication. And maybe you have a broken relationship with a family member, someone significant in your life, and you go, man, it's been 20 years. There's no way that God could bring restoration. God can bring restoration. God's good at healing broken relationships. In verse 5, And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. So he's looking and sees the wives, sees the children. Jacob's response is, these are the children that God has graciously given to me. He saw his children as a gracious gift. I was reading the news briefly today, and the birth rate has gone down again in the United States in 2018. It's the lowest it's been in 30 years. So it's at an all-time 30-year low, and the last four years it continues to go down in, in the United States. The experts say it's not sustainable. So there's not enough children being born to support all the systems that are in place. We're starting to reap some of the things that we've sown. We're, we're reaping the things that we believe. We believe as a culture that kids are not gracious gifts from the Lord. As a culture, we don't value children. And so more and more you're seeing a generation that says, it's not worth it to have kids. It, it's not worth it for me to sacrifice of myself and be inconvenienced to, to have a child. So I'll, I'll choose to not have children. And I would just encourage us to have that biblical view of children. They're a gracious gift from the Lord. God calls children a heritage. The word heritage means a reserved blessing. So children are a reserved blessing uh, for you. And if you're not able to have kids, man, God understands that. God is the one who is over all things. But man, if the Lord's blessed you with children or that's in your heart to someday have children, remember that's close to, to God's heart. And Jacob can see that these kids are a gift uh, from the Lord. In verse six, then the maidservant came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Lisa, or Leah, also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. A lot of bowing down. The maidservants with their children, Leah with her children, and then here comes Rachel with her one son, Joseph, and they all bow down. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I meet? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Remember all of the gifts that Jacob sent to Esau to try to pacify Esau's anger. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. I think Jacob doing all of this engineering and sending all of these gifts is all part of Jacob's manipulation. 
all of Jacob trying to do things in his own strength instead of trusting in the Lord. He didn't have to send all of these gifts. And I would suggest to, to you tonight that buying people's affection doesn't work. You know? If you're in a place where you're saying, I've got to give this gift, and I've got to give this gift, and I've got to do this and do this in order to make the relationship right, go deeper. Go deeper than that. We can't buy people's affection or, or buy their restoration. And Jacob says, or Esau says, I've had enough. I've got enough. In verse 10, and Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I've seen your face as though I've seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. So this is kind of the battle, like who's gonna pay for lunch, right? It's like, no, I wanna, I wanna treat you to lunch. No, you're not gonna treat me to lunch. No, I'm able to treat you to lunch. No, you did it last time, this discussion that's going back and forth. And Jacob's like, would you please receive the gift? Would you, would you please allow me to give this to you? This was part of Jacob's way of saying that he was sorry. That's what he's really communicating through these gifts, that he's sorry for stealing his brother's birthright, for being deceptive. And this is Esau's way of saying, I forgive you by receiving the gift that was being extended uh, to him. So what does God desire for us in relationships? If you have a broken relationship in your life, you might say, well, what is God requiring of me? The first is, Allow God to work in us first, number one, if you're taking notes. Allow God to work in us first. Oftentimes, when there is a broken relationship, what are we desiring? We're desiring that God works in the other person. God, here's where they're wrong. Wouldn't it be easy for Esau to be in a place of, God, why don't you deal with Jacob? And Jacob going, God, why don't you deal with with Esau? But we have to get in a place of saying, Lord, what have I contributed to the situation that's caused for there to be mess in the relationship, for caused there to be brokenness in the relationship? So that's where we begin. Say, Lord, this relationship's broken. What is it that I've done wrong? What is it that you want to teach me? This is what Jesus was describing when he's saying, when you're going to remove the speck out of someone else's eye, make sure that you've removed the log out of your own eye. It'd be difficult to try to get a speck out of someone else's eyes if you've got a log in your eye. So there can be things that we're missing in our own life, in our own character. We're, we're concerned with the speck in their eye, and yes, it needs to be taken out. A speck in the eye is so annoying, isn't it? It's such delicate work to get it out, and a lot of times you need help from someone else to be able to, to get it out. But first, I've got to make sure that the Lord's dealing with that log in, in my own eye. You know, sin looks terrible in your life, but it doesn't look so bad in mine, right? So it's really easy to look outwardly at somebody else and see problems and see difficulty, but not see it in our own hearts and lives. The other thing the Lord requires of us is number two, is forgive those who have wronged you. Forgive those who have wronged you. I believe that forgiveness is a requirement from the Lord, that God has freely forgiven us, so he requires that we freely forgive others. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. 
Reconciliation of relationship requires repentance if someone has offended you. If they've sinned against you and they're continuing to sin against you, that relationship's not going to be made right until there is repentance. So an illustration would be in this. If you've got a husband and wife and one of the persons in the marriage is being unfaithful, they're committing adultery. In order for there to be reconciliation in that relationship, there has to be repentance from the adultery. The adultery can't continue and have there be reconciliation. So there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, but God does require us to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So why does the Father forgive us? Because we deserve it? No, because of Jesus. And so because of Christ's sacrifice, because I've received grace and I've received forgiveness, then I can freely give that forgiveness to someone else. Is there someone you need to forgive tonight? It's easy to keep this study at a distance and go, oh, isn't this great for Jacob and Esau to have reconciliation? They're choosing to forgive. And is there someone that the Lord is placing upon your heart that has hurt you and they have wronged you? The sin is very real, but God is choosing to call us out to that place tonight and saying, would you forgive? Would you extend forgiveness to them? Bitterness is a great burden to carry. It's a great weight to carry. And if that person is hurt, you don't allow them to continue to hurt you through bitterness, but choose forgiveness. Not based on your feelings, but a chase of obedience. Of Lord, I choose to forgive them because you've forgiven me. And then begin to pray for that person. And choose forgiveness again tomorrow. And pray for that person. Choose forgiveness tomorrow. And pray for that person. And you wait, you watch, you'll see. There will be a freeing work that God does in your heart and your life. But that's something that the Lord requires of us in relationship. Another thing, number three is that we're asked by God to go to someone who has sinned against us. This is part of relationships with one another inside of the body of Christ. If your brother or sister has sinned against you, you're to go to them one-on-one, to go to them gently, to go to them in meekness, considering yourself for the sake of winning a brother, winning a sister, for the sake of relationship, not for the sake of, of judgment. But if things go undealt with, it's an atomic bomb waiting to blow up in the relationship, isn't it? And God wants us to to go to them in gentleness and to share with them the offense. And then number four is to do all that we can to live at peace with one another. Do all that we can to live at peace with, with one another. Wouldn't it have been great if this reconciliation between Jacob and Esau maybe happened at year 10 instead of year 20? Wouldn't it be awesome if it happened at year two or after two months? Why did it have to wait 20 years in order for it to, to take place? But sometimes that happens. It happens, doesn't it? It's never too late for reconciliation. In verse 12, then Esau said, let us take our journey, let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. 
So Esau's like, let's do life together, you know? I want you to journey with me. And Jacob's like, eh, wait a second. You know, I don't know that I'm going to be able to travel with you at the same pace. Verse 14, please let my Lord go ahead before his servant, and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock, and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. Seir is in Edom. It's not inside of the promised land. A key verse for this section is Genesis 31, verse 13, where God speaks to Jacob and says, I am the God of Bethel. I want you to go dwell in the land of your fathers. I want you to dwell in the promised land. So God is calling Jacob to the promised land, not to Edom. Jacob has no intention of going to Edom, to Seir, but he doesn't come out and say it directly. He's still in a place of deceit. He surrendered to the Lord, but old habits die hard, and he has a difficult time being honest. Honesty has a big deal to do with our trust in God. You know, can we just tell someone honestly, hey, here's the issue. I don't want to go live in Seir. I want to go live in the promised land because that's where God has, has called me to dwell, to be able to speak the truth and love. And Jacob's not quite at that point yet. Verse 15. And Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. Esau's got 400 men at his disposal. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Jacob's like, there's no need. We're fine. We don't need any of your men. So Esau now returns to Seir. And Jacob sojourned to Sukkoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. If you look at a map, this is not yet in the promised land. He is on the east side of the Jordan River, hasn't crossed over the Jordan River into the land that God had promised to Abraham. So he's close to obedience, but he's not quite in obedience. And he stops short of where God has called him to be. He's left Laban, but he hasn't fully entered into the land that the Lord has for him. And we can relate, unfortunately, can't we? A lot of times we go, man, I know that I have obeyed the Lord, but I'm obeying him partially, and I'm living in Sukkoth instead of in complete obedience to the Lord. Then Jacob came safely into the city of Shechem. Now he's in the promised land. Now he crosses over, which is the land of Canaan, when he came from Pandan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel, which means the God of Israel, the mighty God of Israel. So he buys land inside of the promised land. Other than Abraham buying a small portion of land to bury Sarah, none of the Israelites have yet purchased land in the promised land. So this is a big deal. Shechem is right between Mount Ebal and Gerizim, the the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing, and he builds an altar to the Lord. He's careful to celebrate God's uh, faithfulness in 
his life. Now keep in mind this man, Hamor, Shechem's father, because that's going to come into play into chapter 34. So let's tackle chapter 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah. Remember, Jacob's family is divided up into his wife Leah, his wife Rachel, and the two maidservants, and all of the children that he had. So this is the only daughter of Jacob that's mentioned. We had the list of the 12 sons that will become the 12 tribes of Israel, but only one daughter, and she's the daughter of Leah, whom she had bore to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, can you blame her? She's got 12 brothers. Did you hear me right? 12 brothers, and she's the only girl. So she decides that it's time for some female companionship, some girlfriends. So she goes out to the land of Canaan, to, she- to Shechem, to find companionship, the city of Shechem. Now remember, these are Canaanites who don't know the Lord, who don't serve the Lord, who serve false gods, and are very hedonistic, a very sexually driven uh, culture. This is not a wise place for Dinah to go out and to look for friendship, to look for companionship. This is a great place for Jacob, her dad, to intervene in her life and say, hey, wait a second. This is not good for you to go here to find friendship. This, this is going to be detrimental uh, for you. And what we'll find in this chapter is a huge lack of leadership in Jacob when it comes to his family. And it's going to cost him uh, dearly. So parents, for us as parents, this is a good reminder that we need to be guiding and we need to be protecting our our children. And as we try to navigate this in this world, this has become a lot more closer to home because companionship is right here. It's right here. They don't have to venture outside of mom and dad's home. All they got to do is venture right here. And before you know it, who knows who they're reaching out to? Who knows what they're, they're texting? But I got to tell you, as hard as it is, there's ways to have accountability on this device. It is possible, right? We don't have to go to the approach of, of Jacob and say, I'm not going to be involved in your life. You know? I think sometimes we tend to think, well, you know, you're on your way to adulthood, so I'm not going to say anything, and you're going to make your own choices, but they're not adults yet. You know, Dinah's still at a place where she's living at home, and she has the opportunity to be protected by her father. She has the opportunity at least to have a discussion from her dad. Her dad could have said, hey, look, I don't think this is a good idea for you to do, and, and this is why, but we don't see any of that take, taking place. And so I would encourage us as parents and especially to encourage us as dads is may God give us strength to take on that role and to say, look, I, I'm going to care about who my kids are, are hanging out with, who, who they're spending uh, time with and warn them of, of the dangers. And ultimately, we can't protect our kids from everything and, and things are going to happen and things are going to take place. And then for all of us, there's a strong lesson here in where you go to look for companionship. A Canaanite city is not a good place to find companionship. And you may be saying, well, 
Aren't we supposed to be friends of sinners? Jesus was a friend of sinners? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are to be with and be around and be friends with those who don't know Christ as their Savior. But who are going to be your closest friends? Who are going to be your closest companions? I think those need to be believers. We need to be surrounding ourselves with believers so that we can effectively be able to reach out uh, to others. So in verse 2, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. So this is whom Jacob had bought property from, Hamor, the dad. He was the prince of the region. It's his son Shechem who rapes Dinah. So it's very clear that Dinah did not want this to take place. She was just going looking for friendship. She was just looking to say, I want to get out of mom and dad's house. I'm sick of these 12 brothers. They're driving me nuts. And then she was taken advantage of and she, she was raped. And this breaks the heart of God. This is heartbreaking. One of the things that's the most difficult for me as a pastor is to hear the stories of abuse. It breaks my heart every time to hear the stories of, of abuse. It's never God's heart that someone gets, gets abused. You know, if you're in a place where you have been a victim to physical and sexual abuse, that was never God's heart, and that was never God's, God's intent. And the only one that fully understands is Jesus who was crucified. Jesus was abused upon the cross, and he comes to set uh, the captives free. And as parents, we want to do everything possible that we can to be responsible to say, I'm protecting my kids from being in this place where they'll become susceptible to physical and sexual abuse. Verse 3, his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So at some point, you know, he's, he, he rapes her and then he decides, oh, I would really like to be with her permanently. I'd really like for her to be my wife. And obviously, this guy has a very skewed view of women. And as men come to know Christ as their Savior, we have to see women the way that God intended. To not see women as objects, but to see women as sisters in Christ who are made in, in God's image. So, so this guy is, is all messed up, isn't he? Shechem, he rapes her, and then he's like, I'd like to have a permanent relationship with you. It speaks kindly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. So you can say, see the failed perspective here. Go, go get me this young woman as my wife. I want her to, to be my wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Did you know that all, not all anger is bad? Not all anger is bad. Jesus was angry and he didn't sin. Now, most of the time we do sin in our anger, but church, some things should make you mad. Some things should make you mad. There should be that level. Jacob here should be mad. He should be fired up and say, look, this should not have happened to my daughter. But instead, he's a pacifist. 
Instead, he says nothing. Instead, he waits for his sons to come home with the livestock. He's holding his peace when he should step forward in godly leadership and protect his daughter and protect his family. Now, what we're going to see is not in a way of revenge. The sons, the boys, are going to take it in a way of revenge, but in a way of seeking godly justice. He, he should be stepping in to seek godly justice. That's his role inside of his, his daughter's life, but instead, we find him to be terribly absent. And because of that, there's a domino effect, and it opens up the door for the boys to say, well, dad's not going to do anything, so I'm not going to allow my sister to be treated like this. I'm going to take things in into my own hands. So may we be stirred as fathers. If we're fathers, God has designed us, he's called us, he's given us the position to be protectors and to provide guidance inside of our home. Ephesians 5 makes it really clear and says that the husband is the head of the home the way that Christ is the head of the church. Now, don't misunderstand. That's a position of responsibility that comes with great service. Jesus led in a servant way, laying down his life for the church. So it's not this authoritative position, but it's this position of serving. So our wives and our kids are waiting for us to lead. They're longing for us to lead because that's the way that God's designed it. So for us as husbands, as we come into this brokenness inside of our families, this brokenness inside of situations, it's very important in these crucial moments that we say, okay, I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to look for the Christ-centered, godly action to take in this place. So I think most of us as husbands know this prior to this Bible study, but we're left with the question of, what does this mean? And how do I do this? How do I move forward in providing guidance and providing protection for my family? This is a huge one. And that is to rely upon Christ's strength and Christ's help. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. It's Christ that's going to lead us and guide us and direct us. And so we've got to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. We've got to be spending time in the word and spending time in prayer, saying, God, would you lead me and guide me and direct me so that I know what to do inside of of my family? You may be a single dad. Go for it, right? It may be a situation where you've got partial custody as a dad. Go for it. You may say, I don't, haven't seen my child in five years. Dads, do everything you can to be able to re-engage. So relying upon the Lord, that relationship with the Lord, getting in God's word, allowing God's word to be able uh, to speak to us, to be able to, to share with others. And then the very practicals of that's lived out is we have to do deposits before we can do withdrawals inside of our family. So if we're trying to fulfill this role of being a protector and giving guidance, with a bank account, if you have more withdrawals than deposits, it doesn't work. Have you ever experienced that before? I remember when I got out of college and was trying to get established on on my own, I bought a bed from Sam's Club 
and I didn't have quite enough deposits in there. And I learned a lesson and had to pay some extra fines there, right? And relationally, if all we're doing is withdrawals from our wife and kids, it's not going to work. What does a deposit look like? A deposit looks like a hug. A deposit looks like spending time with you. A deposit looks like I'm going to serve you in a way that I know that's a blessing to you. You enjoy time together, I'm going to make time. You, you enjoy acts of service, so I'm going to do some dishes. I, I'm going to be there to protect you. That's a deposit that's put in, in, in their lives. Not perfection, but being there and giving deposits, giving words of affirmation. You're doing a good job. You look nice today. Those things, deposits, deposits, love, love, deposits, deposits. Then when it comes to withdrawals, hopefully there's enough deposits there where they know that you love them and and you care for them. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to fall short. But my heart cries out for more from Jacob here, doesn't it? For, for you, say, man, I just, I long for Jacob to do more in this situation. I long for him to, to step up and to say, look, we're going to deal with this in a godly way. We're going to deal with this inside of justice. We're going to hold this young man, Shechem, accountable and not open up the doors for the sons to, to work about uh, revenge. Be encouraged, dads. You can do it. Christ is in you. He can give you that strength to provide that guidance and to be that protective agent uh, in your family. And for those of you that are single moms, man, God bless you. God give you strength as you're listening to this and you're going, man, I don't have a head of, of my home. God is faithful. He's good. He's going to provide. Timothy, we don't see a godly father in his life, but we see his mom and his grandma knowing the Lord, serving the Lord. And the faith of his mom and grandma was passed on to Timothy, and he's a shining star in the New Testament. And you seek to be that protective agent in your home. You seek to give that guidance. The, the dad's not in the picture. God will be faithful. His heart is for you, and he's going to be that pillar and that rock. And don't believe the lie of saying, man, my kid's destined to fail because I'm a single mom. No, God, God will be faithful. And verse 6 Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves so you shall dwell well with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. This would be dangerous. Why? Because they're Canaanites. Abraham's perspective was he wanted Jacob to go and marry someone who knew the Lord, who loved and served the Lord. And if all of a sudden they enter into this intermarrying, most likely the children of Israel would lose faith in the one true living God. Verse 11, Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me, 
ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as a wife. So Shechem's like, I'll pay the dowry if you'll give me Dinah to be my wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled their sister. Who answers? The brothers. Dinah's brothers answer, but Jacob doesn't answer. Whose place is it to answer? Whose place is it to deal with this? Jacob. But he doesn't do that. So now the sons come up with this deceitful plan. Where do you think the sons learn deceit? (laughs) From Jacob, right? So now they're going to sow their own seeds of, of deceit. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to the one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach uh, to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will come, become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and will become one people. But if you do not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. Saying, guys, you have to be circumcised in order for you to be able to marry Dinah. Not just Shechem, but all of the males. They all need to be circumcised. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. Somehow they're like, okay, we're, we've got a tough sell, but we're going to go back to the city. Tell the guys, there's a, there's a change that's taking place. And it's going to be painful, uh, but we feel like it's going to be worthwhile. Verse 19, so the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. So this shows you how corrupt Hamor was. Because Shechem is willing to be circumcised and the Bible says that he's more honorable than his dad. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of the city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, the gate is where the elders would be, the gate is where all the decisions would be made. So they get all the men together at the gate of the city. These men are at peace with us, speaking of Jacob and his family. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their wives to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. Say, guys, it's going to be worth it. A little bit of pain, but over time, we're going to be able to assimilate them into us. And we're going to own everything that belongs to them. So it came down to money. It's amazing what people will do for money, right? It's amazing what people will do for for economics. What's humbling about this is Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, used the covenant of God. Circumcision was a covenant between Abraham and his descendants and God as a ploy to wipe out a whole entire city. So they're using God's covenant and prostituting it in a blasphemous way. In verse 24, And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised. All went out of the gate of his city. 
Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, just two, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. So remember, this family, Jacob's family, is all divided up by the wives. So here we see Leah with Dinah and two of the boys who were also born from Leah. So they're 100% siblings, having the same mom and dad. Simeon and Levi come in when they're defenseless. They're on the third day. They're at their most pain from their circumcision. And two guys are able to go and kill all of the males in the city and then take Dinah out of Shechem's house. This crosses the line, doesn't it? This goes from justice to revenge. What does God say? He tells us that revenge belongs to him. We're to seek after justice. We're to see people held accountable for their actions, but we're not to allow it to go to a place of revenge. The law says an eye for an eye, but many times if someone pokes out our eye, what do we want? We want to take out both of their eyes. That's not justice. Eye for an eye. Shechem's the one that needs to be held accountable, not killing all of the males inside of of the city. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field and all their wealth. All their little ones and their wives they took captive and they plundered even all that was in the house. So not only did they kill all of the males, but then they kidnapped all of the the women and the female children that were left and they plundered all of their goods And here's Jacob's uh, response. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. Among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, since I am few in number, they will gather together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. What do we not see from Jacob here? He's not grieved over the wickedness that's done before God. He's not saying, you guys sinned before the Lord. He's saying, you've put us in a bad position where now we could be destroyed because everyone in the land that we're foreigners is going to be angry at us. And the boys respond, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? We're left with the sons justifying their actions. They were right that their sister was mistreated but it was not to be this response of revenge. It was to be a response of justice. So three takeaways from tonight's study. The first is seek restoration. Seek restoration. Pray for, seek after restoration, if at all possible. God restored a relationship between Jacob and Esau. Is there an Esau in your life? Is there a Jacob in your life? The cross of Jesus Christ bringing reconciliation. If reconciliation isn't possible at this time because it requires two people, make sure that we offer forgiveness. When we come to the communion table, receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness. Seek restoration. Seek justice, not revenge. Seek justice, not revenge. 
Unfortunately, inside of families, there is abuse that takes place. And sometimes that abuse takes place from another family member, which is very painful. When that happens, I think it's in the best interest of the family to not seek revenge, but to seek justice. Don't allow that offender the pass. Don't allow them to continue to be an abuser because they're a family member. It's tough. Turn them into the authorities. It's the best thing for them. It's the best thing for the family. It's the best thing for the child who's been taken advantage of. If they're not held accountable, they're most likely going to continually sexually abuse people and take advantage of people. Seek justice. God loves justice. And it's hard to seek justice without it going to this place of revenge. But if you don't seek justice, you leave the door open. You leave the door open for even more problems to take place. Sometimes in our lives, we have to be a voice for somebody who doesn't have one. And if you're in that place where it's your job to be that voice, by all means, be that voice in Jesus' name and don't apologize. Understood? Seek justice. But then lastly, is seek to fulfill the leadership that God has given you. To all of us, God's given us leadership. To all of us, God has given some very precious people to provide protection and guidance. And don't let the world or anybody else tell you, oh, it's not your place to protect them. It's not your place to be able to provide guidance. And may God, by his grace, give us strength to say, all right, Lord, this is what you've given me to do. So Lord, help me to do it. Help me to be able to fulfill it. So let's stand and let's pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would bring application in our lives. Oh, Lord, this is hard stuff. It's hard stuff to read through. And we thank you for your honesty and your word, Lord, that you don't sugarcoat these things or just present people in a, in a perfect manner. And Lord, would you give us grace and would you, would you help us? Lord, I pray for those that have been victims of abuse, Lord, that you would encourage them and that you would heal their broken hearts and minister to them in a way that only you can. Provide hope in in their lives, Lord. Lord, we pray for broken relationships that you would bring restoration. Lord, as we've received grace and received forgiveness, we want to extend it to, to others. Lord, we thank you for the leadership that you've given to us, that you've entrusted to us. And Lord, would you help us to rise to those positions of leadership? Lord, we do pray for those that don't have a voice. Lord, that you would be their advocate, that you'd be their defender. And we know ultimately that all are gonna stand before you. No one's gonna get away with it in eternity. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand on the behalf of those that that need an advocate they can't speak for themselves. So Lord, would you bless this time of communion? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.